0: Fiscal policy is an important economic tool. It can tell us whether a government is going to be spending more or less. But how does fiscal policy work exactly? And what is its significance in economic management? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr Jeffrey Williams. He's a professor, he's an economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, let's start from the basics. What is the definition of Fiscal policy?
1: Okay, so fiscal policy basically deals with government expenditures and then how it gets the revenue in order to fund uh, those expenditures. Right. So it's done at an aggregate level. How much is it going to spend and how much does it have to raise? But then there's also micro uh, elements to that about the, the, the right type of taxes, the right type of spending. Right. All of these are involved in fiscal policy.
0: So basically, when, when we hear the word fiscal policies uh, 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 in the news, it basically means government expenditure?
1: Government expenditure and government taxes revenues, but not just taxes. Revenues is primarily taxes, but it's not only taxes. Right. So it's how the government raises the money and how the government spends the money. Right.
0: So what is the significance of fiscal policy when it comes to economic management?
1: Well, government spending is a big component of gross domestic product, and it's therefore it's a big component of. De, uh, aggregate demand in the economy. So you have consumers are spending, companies are spending, um, foreign consumers and foreign companies are spending in terms of trade, and the big chunk in the middle there is uh, the government, uh, government spending. So that is uh, part of what we call demand management. Right. So it's primarily that the gov- the, where the consumers aren't spending enough or where investors aren't spending enough, the government can go in and spend some money to raise total Uh, Right.
0: So, how does fiscal policy differ from other economic policies, right? Because there are many things when we talk about the economy, when we talk about the finance, like monetary policy, so on and so forth. How does fiscal policy differ itself from these? Well, monetary
1: policy is generally considered the the, the other side of the coin Mm -hmm. in terms of economic policy. You have fiscal policy, you have monetary policy. Okay. Monetary policy deals with the money supply. It deals with interest rates. It can also deal with exchange rates. Sometimes, uh, well, you know, the central bank will um, facilitate exchange rate um, uh, transactions. Um, But uh, the monetary policy doesn't involve taxes. Mm. And monetary policy tends to uh, be a, 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 a balance to fiscal policy. And so they have to really be coordinated if they're not properly coordinated, then you get an imbalance in, in policy, and then that imbalance in policy can
0: lead to instability. Right. Yeah. So what would you say are the primary tools or instruments used in fiscal policy? Okay, well, the
1: first is sp- the spending, okay. government spending. And government spending is on its day-to-day operational expenditures, payment of civil servants, payment of teachers. Mm. In Malaysia, that's about 1.5 million people. So when we say, well, you know, there are one and a half million people working for the government, we think that it's all people in Putrajaya. It's not. right. <laughs> it's, it's actually – it's teachers, even university lecturers. It's uh, the police. It's the bomber. It's all of these guys. They're all civil servants. All, all over the country. Yes, all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so one of the biggest expenditures, of course, is their salaries and then their pensions. Um, then there are various operational expenditures um, on the day-to-day management of health and education, social policy. And then the the other big part of fiscal policy is um, development spending. And these are for long-term infrastructural programs. Right. They can be anything from um, drainage and roads all the way through to <clears throat> major infrastructure projects on airports or anything like that. right? And these are long-term, bigger projects. Yeah.
0: Could you explain the difference between expansionary and contractionary fiscal policies, and when is each appropriate to you?
1: Okay, so the origins of fiscal policy are with an economist called John Maynard Keynes mm-hmm. in the 1930s. Uh, he's a very famous economist, Lord right. Keynes. He's from Cambridge. And he basically had this proposition that where there was insufficient spending from the private sector, consumers and businesses, then the government can come in and create the demand. Right. And so he created this entire um, area of demand management, like we said before, it's the primary role of fiscal policy. So an expansionary fiscal policy would expand the level of demand. Right. And so it would pump in money into the economy in circumstances where consumers and investors weren't pushing enough or, oh, for example, at the moment, if we have a global downturn in trade mm-hmm. and we generally in Malaysia, we expect trade will be a big contributor to economic growth. It's outside of your um, control and so it's not as strong as it was expected to be. Right. Well, the government can compensate that right. by pushing in some money into the economy in the domestic economy right. to compensate for a downturn in the External economy. So, this is where the government would have an expansionary fiscal policy. Right. So it pushes money in. Now, if you push too much money in, you 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 risk inflation, right? Because you have then too much money chasing too few goods. Right. You have the demand side, but the supply side of the economy isn't able to keep pace with the demand. So the prices rise. Um, and so a contractionary fiscal policy, sometimes called an, an austerity policy, um, actually reduces the overall level of demand. And one way it can do that is first the government will spend less, but the government can also then increase taxes to stop you and me <laughs> and <Right>. companies <laughs> spending the money. So uh, that doesn't happen so much in Malaysia, but uh, it happens in other parts of the world. They will raise taxes to, to, to haul back um, spending. Right. And then the economy will contract. But more commonly, what they do is they will reduce their own expenditures.
0: Right. So now you mentioned something interesting, right? There is this um, <coughs> one philosophy is, is to, to expand. And then one more is the, the contractionary one, which is also um, similar to austerity. What has Malaysia's approach to fiscal policy been, broadly speaking?
1: Broadly speaking, the level of government expenditure increases every year Mm -hmm. and has been increasing every year. Now, if that happens in line with the general growth of the economy, then that can be um, really quite a good thing because the economy is growing, so the income the government is getting is growing. Um, And so the, the government is benefiting from the expansion in the economy, and then it can use that spending... Um, on health, education, social protection and other priorities. So generally speaking, that's a good thing. You know, sometimes the government pushes too much money in. And in fact, some people have argued that during the COVID period, for example, the government was pushing too much money in and then that's what caused inflation. Actually, I don't particularly agree with that because (laughs) as we've mentioned before, quite a lot of the money that was pumped in wasn't from the government at all. Right. It was $150 billion from the EPF. <laughs> right. So actually, the direct government um, uh, spending was only about uh, $100 billion, less, uh, quite, uh, a little bit less than $100 billion over three years. So right. there wasn't actually that much. Um, so the, in that sense, uh, you have to be careful about pushing too much money in. Mm-hmm. The last budget, for example, had a really quite large increase in government expenditures. And um, I had suggested that after the COVID period and all of the co- extra COVID expe- expenditures, which was understandable, the government could actually hold the budget because it would be making savings because right. all of those COVID spend, uh, expenditures would have gone away. But actually, instead of doing that, the, the, uh, the total budget was actually increased quite substantially 370 over million, right. a
0: million billion is is there an argument to be made that um, some might argue that perhaps more spending by the government is um, almost always a good thing if it is um, handled properly if it's managed well um that you you even if it's the economy is not growing um, you can spend more money. Um, to perhaps um, you know improve better education, um, you know better healthcare, build more schools, um, invest in the public, in the people, which will then in turn grow the economy in the long run. Um, how do you see that?
1: Well, that is the fundamental premise mm-hmm. of demand management. Right. So when Lord Keynes was developing this idea in the 1930s, he was doing it at a time when there was a depression. Right, and uh, his view was that the, we couldn't get out of the depression because people's incomes were too low. So they were spending too little uh, because were un- there's a lot of unemployment. Right. So his view was, well, if the government spent some money, it could put that money into the hands of uh, the businesses. That would go into the hands of the consumers. The consumers would then spend it, and then you get this positive, virtuous cycle. Mm. Um, and and that's because... Um, the government expenditures become part of what we call the circular flow of income. Right. They take money out through taxes, but they pump it back in. And because the government is pumping it in, um, it can have a bigger impact. We call that a multiplier effect. It, would, it has a bigger impact because it sort of pushes um, consumers. It gives, it gives people income and then the consumers spend that income. Right. It gives companies business and then they will invest from the revenues from that business. And then that's a positive cycle. But the the counter to that is that if uh, government spending becomes too large a part of total demand, then first, you will be crowding out private sector activity. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And second, it has to be paid for. Right. So then the question is not just the question of the spending. It's also the question of how are we going to generate the revenues in order to pay for that spending. And generally speaking, that would be taxes. But actually in Malaysia, it's not only taxes. Mm. So Malaysia is in a better position than many other countries because, for example, Malaysia gets oil royalties from Petronas. And that's very significant. I mean, I think last year it was 50 billion. This year they're promising another 40 billion. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a return on a national asset. So many other oil-rich uh, countries are able to do that. In fact, in some countries, in the Middle East or in uh, Alaska, the state in America, they right. don't have taxes at all because it's all paid for from um, uh, uh, the, the hydrocarbon income.
0: Right. On the show with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Williams, Professor in economics at Malaysia University of Science and Technology. We continue our discussion after the break. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan, and on the show with me today is Dr Jeffrey Williams. He's a professor and an economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology and he's giving me the 101 on fiscal policy. So Jeffrey... Has Malaysia seen radical shifts in our philosophy of fiscal policy over the years? Let's say if we compare the 70s to the 80s, 90s versus what it is today. Um, we've had many governments, um, especially in recent years, have they taken any drastically um, different or, or radical um, approaches to fiscal policies? I wouldn't say particularly,
1: mm-hmm. no, because there is generally speaking uh, an attitude and approach which is that the government's spending should be increasing every year. And right. in fact, from one government to another, I've been here for 20 years. So every time the finance minister delivers the budget, the biggest thing they want to say is, I'm spending more of your money. Right. <laughs> every single time. And so it's a totem of success for the finance minister right. to say, I'm spending more than the previous guy. Right. Um, biggest budget in Malaysian yes, history. It's, it's, every time right? it's a record budget, Right. right? And then in in England, for example, uh, if, if the chancellor comes along and says, I'm actually spending less, hmm. then that would be considered a good thing. In America, if, you know, when they're setting out their federal budget, they, that's also increasing right. year on year on year. But if they say, well, we're not – it's not that we're spending less. We're just spending at a slower rate. <laughs> we're right. increasing the expenditures at a slower rate. Then that is actually considered to be a good thing because it's a question of um, – Efficient fiscal management.
0: Is that a good thing per se in certain countries or is it depending on the the point of view? So, for example, in the UK, again, nuances is not binary. Some might say that um, um, what you just said would be what the Conservative government would say. Um, A Labour, perhaps, uh, maybe not Keir Starmer, but maybe, Mm -hmm. let's say, a Jeremy Corbyn kind of Labour would say the opposite of what you just said. Um, Would would you say that's fair? Yes, because...
1: um Generally speaking, on left of center, um, it, it, we only have a left of center government. They, they want to spend more right. because they have priorities in health care and mm-hmm. education, and they are very much of the view that this must be provided through the state right. in order to have universal access. Right. And if you if you didn't provide it through the state, you wouldn't have universal access. And that's you know, a very important principle on which they base their policies. Mm-hmm. But those who are right of center say, look, it's got to be paid for. Right. And so, something that we haven't really discussed too much is taxes right? Uh, and where it's getting the revenue. Now, actually, in Malaysia, the the taxes are paid by very few people. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't pay income tax. right? And um, although we have an SST and consumption tax, it really is people who are spending the most and they are the richest people who are um, contributing most in terms of the tax. Mm-hmm. But – Taxes uh, have a disincentive effect. So if you have a tax on income, it's a disincentive to work because the the more you work, the more you're giving to the government, the less you're keeping to yourself. So there's a disincentive effect. If you have taxes on goods and services, um, then it distorts the price system. Some uh, goods are taxed. Some goods are not taxed. Uh, there were various reasons why you want to tax various um, types of products. Sometimes it's Absolutely. a sin tax. Right. Okay. And so uh, – but what that does is it distorts the price system. And if you have too much of that, then um, it, it has a bad effect on the economy because it's a disincentive to innovation. It's a disincentive to work. It's a disincentive to have a higher income because they're taking more of that away from you. And there is something which is called a Laffer curve. And the Laffer curve basically shows that the higher is the rate of taxation, the less revenue you get. Mm. And there's a, sort of, there's a sort of sweet spot where you can maximize your revenue with a particular rate of tax. And that's different in different economies, by the way. Um, and if you start to push the overall tax um, rate above that, it starts to have a disincentive effect on right. businesses, on innovation, on consumers, on workers. Uh, on everybody, really, so that you can have too much tax
0: right um you have already touched on this, I think um, throughout the conversation so far, but perhaps you can frame this. Um, you know could you discuss the major areas of government expenditure in Malaysia and how they impact the economy, especially with regard to what we're talking about today, which is fiscal policies
1: okay, so the the two big sides of the budget are mm-hmm. the operational expenditures mm-hmm. and the development expenditures. The development expenditures are long-term projects, so the very large projects. Some of the recent ones that we've uh, seen, which have been highlighted, have been the flood mitigation right. policies. These are very large um, uh, programs they, over many years, and they, uh, generally speaking, that the, the, these are projects that are considered the government's core responsibility. Right. It's the government that builds the roads. It's mm-hmm. the government that deals with the flood mitigation. It's the government that builds the airports. <laughs> In principle, they could be provided privately. Right. But there, there is um, a role for the government there. Mm-hmm. Then the other side is the – well, let's just stick with that a little bit. The, develop, you know, the development um, expenditures, these are part of the infrastructural development of the economy, infrastructural right. development of the country as a whole. So, you know, if the government is if the, government's the one that's putting the logistical infrastructure in place, which makes it easier for people to do business, they are the, the guys who are building the ports, mm-hmm. which helps with the trade. Right. And if they didn't do it, these projects would be so large that it would be difficult for private sector organizations to handle it because of the size, the scale. Now, the other side of um, the budget is the operational expenditures. Right. And as we said, part of that is the salaries, mm-hmm. but other important elements of that is spending on public health, spending on public education, spending on social protection. Mm-hmm. And these are clearly social priorities. Right. And if the government wasn't there to provide the, uh, these opportunities, you wouldn't have universal coverage. Right. You would have to rely, on, let's say, for example, on private healthcare and people who were in low-income groups could not afford that. Right. So these are social priorities and generally speaking, whether you're on the left or on the right, provided you're somewhere in the center <laughs> centre left or center right, right, you you would acknowledge that these types of social uh, expenditures are, are important. Right. Now, part of this will be um, development expenditures, building hospitals, building schools and so on. But of course, another part of it is the day-to-day management, the day-to-day running costs. Now, there's a third element of this, which is um, discretionary spending by the government. The government chooses to do various things that actually could be done in the private sector. Mm -hmm. So this is where you would get a a very significant difference between people on the center left and people on the center right. uh, People on the center right would say, for example, the, the government should not be funding particular types of activity right. because the private sector can do that perfectly well. Mm-hmm. And if the government does it, it will crowd out the private sector. Now, we have a lot of expenditures in Malaysia which do that because Malaysia has a very big developed um, government-linked right. company. Now, formally, these are not part of the fiscal policy program, but they, um, they do receive uh, funding from the government in order to uh, implement various aspects of the government's policy, right. particularly employment. hmm Okay. So we have all of these components. And this is really where the debate is, what should the government be spending money on? And what should the government not be spending money on? So clearly, social priorities are generally, there's a consensus that generally the government should spend on that. But when these are semi-commercial or activities that the private sector should do, the question is, why are you spending my money doing something that that bank could do or doing something that the Private uh, company could do
0: right. So, um, how would you frame um, the the Malaysian government's approach over the years, right? Because, um, like you rightfully put, there is this, um, you know, sort of hype that the Malaysian governments like to take. You know, this, this, you know, we are spending more uh, than the previous guy, and um, that is the way they position it. It's like a good thing. This could be a point of view and, and things like that. But what would you say that uh, are the priorities or goals um, that the Malaysian government typically focuses on when formulating its budget and, and making these grand announcements?
1: Well, I think in the past, there has been, I mean, th- there has been a very strong interventionist approach mm-hmm. for 60 years. I mean, the fact that that we have Malaysia plans every five years, uh, these set out what the government is going to be spending its money on over right. the course of the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at uh, the Pakatan Harapan government, the, the first one, and now the new unity government, they are actually less interventionist in my view, in philosophy, in mm-hmm. philosophical terms. They are less interventionist. So, right. for example, if you look at the the, the uh, new industrial master plan that was announced on Friday, if this had come under a previous administration, the total $95 billion would have come from the government in my view. Right. Because we've seen that scale of expenditures under the Moydin uh, administration and Ismail Zabri uh, administration and we definitely saw it under Najib. But what has happened in, in this presentation is that there's a $95 billion, um, budget, which is nowhere near enough, by the way. But there's a $95 billion budget. Mm-hmm. But the government is only going to give 10 percent of that. Right. And so the idea is – it's very clear that the idea is that the government is now looking in terms of a more conservative management of the fiscal – the overall fiscal position. And what that means is that the government will be providing a smaller amount as a catalyst or an incentive to leverage private sector um, investments. Right. That's that's the basic idea. Now, there is also much more of an emphasis now on – um, effective fiscal management. The prime minister, from the outset, started mm-hmm. by stopping projects because he said they'd be not been properly tendered. Right. There's a lot of uh, corruption going on, leakages, wastage, and he was very clear that this has got to stop. Mm-hmm. And this is a wholly different approach. This is not a this is not a let's spend as much money as we possibly can approach. This is an approach that says yes, we want to spend the money, but we want to spend it in a more effective and more um, efficient way, and there is a new fiscal responsibility act coming up, which should help uh, us to understand better how how the money is being raised, and particularly, of course, how the money is being spent. But one thing that we're missing is an independent fiscal institute, mm. and actually, that was part of the Pakistan Harapan manifesto. They called it the Parliamentary Budget Office. And this is something I've very long advocated for. In fact, when I was in England, I advocated it um, there, and it became the Office for Budget Responsibility. Right. I, I called it a Fiscal Responsibility Committee. It became the Office for Budget Responsibility. Now, this is not unusual. There are, I think there are more than 40 of these institutions around the world. But what they allow is that there is independent scrutiny of government spending and government taxes, and particularly in the way it's presented here in Malaysia, it would go directly to Parliament under the responsibility of Parliament to help the legislatures, uh, legislators understand better what's going on. Because at the moment, they rely on government data and government advice, and they don't have very much by way of um, independent resources to check it out for themselves. And so many very difficult and very complicated aspects of the budget are passed through parliament without very much debate Mm -hmm. because there isn't an independent organization to oversee it. If you had all of these things collectively, you would have a much better system of um, first monitoring spending, but most importantly, in my view, of monitoring the revenues. Where where are the revenues coming from and what is the best and most efficient way? For example, people are saying we should reintroduce a GST. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now... This is tax, and it's regressive. Poor people will pay this tax. Absolutely. This is, this is one of the reasons the prime minister yes. is resisting it. Absolutely. It's regressive. But we also don't know what the rate should be. Mm. And you would need to have, in my view, some independent assessment of that in order to get it right, and also an independent view as to whether you need to have it or not. Now, in my view, if you were to improve the efficiency of government revenues and government spending, you could make sufficient savings that you wouldn't need the GST immediately. In the the long term, almost certainly, yes, but certainly not with the level of urgency that many people are advocating because there is so much wastage. Mm. And if that wastage is cut out, we know every year the Auditor general (laughs) tells us every year. (laughs) And if you cut out that wastage, then you don't need to push and push and push for higher taxes. And that's better because if you have lower taxes or, better still, no taxes, that money stays in your wallet, in my wallet, and in the wallets of the poor. And they can choose how to spend it for themselves. But, so it, but that requires a change in mindset. Now, we had that in the manifesto for PH, but we still haven't seen it in terms of the proposals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we had that proposal in the coming up budget, that
0: would be spot on in my view absolutely i'm i'm wondering um you know when we talk about the economy as a whole sometimes um you get a, a you know a, a sense that um there is on, there is a lot that individual countries can do, but there is only so much that um, a country like Malaysia, a, a relatively smaller um, power compared to you know the the giants around the world, that there's only so much um, that we can do in terms of making massive changes and and so on and so forth. Um, I'm wondering if. When it comes to fiscal policy, right, um, do, does Mal- a country like Malaysia face, face any challenges or constraints when coming up with their fiscal policy?
1: One of the biggest um, issues in Ma- Malaysia is collection. Hmm. So although, um, the, I mean, there are, it, it's a relatively low tax uh, e- economy. And relatively few people pay income tax, for example, mm-hmm. as you mentioned before. And it's the same is true also of businesses. Right. Relatively few businesses actually pay corporate tax because they, they don't make profits, actually, mm. or they're too small. Right. Um, but even with these relatively low tax rates and relatively low um, groups of people who are paying it, the collection has been an issue. Now, LHDN have done a lot of very good work to try to improve that. Um, one, one way of doing that is to move to electronic payments because it's it's uh, more difficult to avoid tax when <laughs> it's already being tra- t- right. traced through a blockchain with your bank, <laughs> right. the revenues. Mm-hmm. If you're doing things on paper and uh, doing things in cash, then you can avoid a lot of tax. Um, so that type of reform um, has been long coming, mm-hmm. but we're now seeing the fruits of that. So. Right. LHCN is announcing every year that it's being more and more successful in raising taxes from from people who should be paying the tax. Right. <laughs> and that's what's important. It's a, you know the tax avoidance has been in the past quite straightforward in Malaysia mm-hmm. and it's becoming less straightforward and that's a good thing. And now what that means is that your overall tax rate can be lower. Right. Because um, one of the reasons you have to have higher taxes is because you're not collecting as much because of the inefficient collection system. So you can actually improve the efficiency of your tax system by improving things like revenue collection.
0: I think most people would agree that, um, you know, uh, when it comes to wastage, leakages and all that, these are bad things. Um, Mm -hmm. It should be avoided. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the way you run your your country's finance and economy has to be managed well, regardless of what your political leaning is left or right. Mm I'm wondering, though, if we look at it from a perspective of um, a, a primary goal, let's say, to I- improve um, uh, inequality or, or sorry, address inequality, promote social welfare programs, uh, uh, um, promote um, a, a more affordable, accessible health care for everybody. Um, same with education, housing. How can fiscal policy be leveraged to address these issues?
1: The basic principle is that because we have these leakages and this wastage, you see, there are diff- we, we we tend to use leakage, wastage, and corruption in the same right. in the same uh, sense when we're talking in the Malaysian context. But in other parts of the world, for example, in the United Kingdom, we wouldn't necessarily view it in, in that way. We would the the wastage would be a question of efficiency, right? A, a simple managerial efficiency. And certainly the Conservative Party and also the Labour Labor Party under Tony Blair in particular focused very, very much on the efficiency of the public service system, particularly the health care system because it's a massive area of expenditures. And so the idea was that you would use um, supply-side policies and you would use um, managerial policies in order to make sure that for every dollar of tax you were getting as much benefit as possible, so that was an efficiency um, issue rather than a question of um, raising or lowering the the overall tax rate. So Malaysia can do a lot in terms of improving efficiency of expenditures, but w- there's also the leakage, All right? And the leakage is that um, it's going. It, it, it the, part of the money is going to projects that we, that aren't being properly monitored. Mm-hmm. That this is not to say it's, the, it, it's the, the theft issue. They're just not being properly monitored. Right. And so the auditing by the Auditor General comes after the fact. Right. And it's not happening whilst the process is going on. So if you had a five-year project, the Auditor General would audit it mid, midterm and at the end right. and not during the whole program. Right. And that means that you're, you are wasting money uh, during the implementation of the program. And, of course, the third issue that you have in Malaysia is the theft. It's the corruption. And, and we know that that is a genuine issue. That's why we have so many cases in the courts. Right. And the, the, why, is, why are these three things important? Because every dollar that's wasted, leaked or stolen is a dollar that could be spent on health care, on education, on your children, on your family members, on priorities, on social policy. You could increase um, pensions. You could increase benefits for people who were in need of the benefits. Um, you, you, you could have increased uh, more significantly the help that was given during the COVID period to people who were suddenly, for reasons beyond their own um, uh, control, in need of help. You could have done Absolutely. all of that. And instead of doing all of that, the money was being stolen right. or the money was being wasted or the money was leaking out right. somehow. That's why efficiency in the system is very much as uh, uh, is as important as the overall number in terms of the spending and the overall number in terms of the revenue.
0: Just to get a better understanding, because I think you, that's a really good point you bring up about the, the sort of nuances between um, wastage, leakage and corruption. When we hear of um, stories such as, let's say, a project has been approved under the Previous government, it was let's say sixty billion, and then this new government comes in and says, "No, this is ridiculous." The same project goes on, but after renegotiation, it brings it down to forty-five billion. Yes. So there's a fifteen billion reduction. So would you say that the previous government was was it was it a matter of wastage, leakage, corruption? How would you categorize that okay. in these contexts? It probably it was a combination of all of those things, right, but also
1: right. it's a question of the procurement system, right? If you had a, um. Uh, if you have direct contracting, then you basically have to take the price that's being offered to you right. by the vendor. Right. If you have open tendering, then uh, particularly anonymous op- open tendering, then the potential um, vendors, the potential suppliers are going to compete much more effectively and you're going to go not, not only for the lowest price but the best value for money. Mm-hmm. Because, the lo- because what happens very often when you have that, um, that open tendering in the procurement process, which is the spending side of fiscal policy, is that someone will bid very low to get the contract. And then they'll come along and say, oh, minister, I'm afraid it was a little bit more. Oh, my costs have gone up. <laughs> oh, you, you, do you know what's happened to the exchange rate? And so suddenly you you thought you were buying it cheaply or, uh, and then it goes to where it was going right. to be anyway. So that's right. just a negotiation. It's a game right. that they're playing. So the procurement system also has to be in, improved. And I think there has been some attempt to do that. But we still have too much direct um, purchases, direct te- uh, tendering. Um, in fiscal policy. Sometimes it's a very large amounts of money. Okay, so that's really the, uh, a big form of leakage and wastage.
0: Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for coming on the show. And it's sharing a pleasure. Always a pleasure. That was Dr. Jeffrey Williams, professor and economist at Malaysia University of Science and Technology. If you missed any part of the conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever we get your podcasts from. I'm Dr. Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9.